You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine, Eric. Um, you know, felt like uh, whenever the Bucks play without Giannis, I always now, ever, ever since that Washington game, I just sort of like expect bad things, you know? I mean, obviously, you're missing the MVP. That's not good. Um, but... Uh, yeah, went into Monday's game kind of feeling like uh, Bulls have won, what, like four games in a row or something? Like, maybe this is a game they lose and uh, didn't have a promising start. But, um, you know, it's <clears throat> it's kind of refreshing that the Bucks are now a team that, uh, you know, really with the exception of that Orlando game, just, um, you know, even when they don't have their best player can, um, you know, they have the systemic integrity, let's say to uh to overcome that and um took them maybe a little while against the bulls on monday night but um i thought it was a very ultimately a very satisfying win just because again anytime you win without Giannis, uh i don't know if it really matters the opponent um you know given the the tightness of the standing still in the east with the raptors not too far behind um you you love to pick up wins and when you can give Giannis a rest yeah i don't i don't even so uh, i'll be totally honest we are recording this at about 9 30 uh central time and Raptors Celtics has just ended. And it, you mentioned the Raptors in the standings and not being a far away. And it's like, well, the Celtics didn't help out at, uh, at all in that. Uh, they appear to be, uh, uh, hate do that. Do they hate each other? Have they ever met each other? I don't even know. They are a total disaster at the moment. Um, but Celtics lose Raptors win by a bunch and it wasn't close. And, you know, now it, it everyone you know always wants to insert the the Celtics and the Sixers into this conversation and well it's just keeps ending up being the Bucks and the Raptors that that stick around there um but you know looking at last night's game um also while we're here screw you Celtics for I said I didn't want to record during that game because I wanted to watch that game and now that game is garbage and now the better game of the night Thunder Nuggets is on and I'm going to get mad. So uh, hopefully we can keep this quick so I can watch that game because that game might actually be good. Um, but Bucks win 117-106 over the Bulls. And, you know, I that feeling you're, you're mentioning was uh, extremely prevalent on Bucks Twitter on Monday. Like, I don't know, um, you know, how many people at, at the start of the day when I, you know, tweeted out that on the injury report, you know, list is doubtful. And, um, you know, when you and I recorded that podcast on Sunday and said, Hey, you know, this might be a game that the Bucks decide to sit Giannis out. Um, you know, there were plenty of people in my mentions that were just like, Oh, why are the Bucks, you know, punting on this game, just going to concede this game to the bulls. And it was just like, 
I, I know that Magic game was the worst loss of the season, and I think it, literally any way you can slice it, I think that was the worst margin they've lost by this year, and certainly the worst that they've looked this year. So that's that's very clear in everyone's mind. But like the Bucks were two and two at this point, or before the Bulls game without Giannis, and. They won a game by 15 without him over the Raptors. They won a game by 16 over the Celtics without him. And then they had lost that game by seven to the Wizards uh, without him before that abomination against the Magic. And it was just like, you know, that that's, I think, what you'd expect, right? Like, this Bucks team without Giannis, I think most people think is probably like a 500 team. If we are uh, going to be con- consistent with how much talent we believe they have two through nine, obviously you take out the top end talent, but you know that's still probably a 500 basketball team if they're coached well. And again, I think we've been talking about Mike Boonholzer being a good coach. So if Giannis doesn't play, you probably have a 50-50 chance of winning. And in a season where the Bucks' winning percentage is, uh, what is it, over 700 at this point? Like, I understand that that can be disappointing to say, but you know, that's still, that's still a, a goodish basketball team. Uh, so there was obviously a lot of doom and gloom. And, you know, I think it just goes along with kind of what you're saying. Like, you know, you don't get to watch Giannis. It sucks. Like you want, you want to see Giannis play. Like he's, he's really good. He's the MVP. And, you know, you have that level of confidence without him, but you know, this is still a pretty talented team uh, without Giannis. And it was strangely enough. I thought it took them a quarter to re- remember that. Like it, it took them a quarter to be like, "Oh yeah, we are actually good, and we we can beat the Bulls, and, and we don't need Giannis to do that." Like I think Middleton and Brogdon both had four points apiece in the first quarter, and then Middleton has twelve in the second. Brogdon has nine in the second, and they put up a thirty-eight to sixteen second quarter and just kind of take over and take control. Uh, and you know, I, I thought it was. I don't say kind of what you'd expect, but you know, you're, you're going to exchange some of the very easy looks for Giannis for slightly tougher looks for Middleton and Brogdon. Uh, you know, maybe it's a little concerning that Bloods only took five shots in that game and didn't really have much of an, much of an impact, but, uh, you know, like all those, uh, everything's going to get ratcheted up a little bit. The degree of difficulty is going to go up a little bit because you don't have someone who gets as easy looks as Giannis does and create as easy of looks as Giannis does. But in the end, you, you are still more talented than this Bulls team. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. It, it felt like um, in that first quarter, I mean, the big problem was defense. Obviously, they gave up 38 points. So it's not like the offense was necessarily the, the, the real issue there. Um, but it did feel like the Bucks, um, you, you know, like, like offensively with Giannis, you know, you can play iso ball, you can play in a way that you know kind of really leans on him to be a creator uh, in a way that you can't do with with anybody else, really, right? I mean, that, that's it's logical, right? He is his gravity. He he's kind of an engine uh, to an offense, um, and it felt like there was there was too much, like, oh well, you know, Giannis is out, so Chris is our second best player, so let's just give the ball to Chris and let him kind of work. Um, like that was. That's like what, and again, like this is, I didn't like chart the first quarter, but, um, you know, you mentioned Chris didn't have a great start, ended up scoring pretty effectively, especially in the first half, thanks to that second quarter, um, and, you know, finished with 22 points and, you know, made plays and got to the foul line and 
I think hit three out of five threes. So, you know, a, a very solid performance from Middleton, um, as well as Brogdon kind of stepping up to help fill a little bit of the, the Giannis void. Um, but it did, I don't know, it felt like they weren't quite like, I don't know, it felt like a little bit too much like, oh, Chris, you got to go get yours, which I think earlier in the season, we talked a little bit that, you know, you think with Bud that, that that's not really like that was more kind of like the Jason Kidd formula when Giannis was out. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, yeah. Chris, you got to go give us 30. <laughs> You're going to take a million shots. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, Chris generally did that last year. He, I think he put up yeah. something like 30 points a game, um, at least through, I think, the first few months when Giannis had missed games. <clears throat> um, so I, I don't know. It felt like they were just out of rhythm offensively and then very much out of rhythm defensively. Um, I, I think I saw Robin Lopez miss a hook shot at one point yesterday. I think it was in the second half. <laughs> um, I also saw him miss a mid-range jumper. I used to, I think this is the first year I've ever feel like I've seen Robin Lopez miss a mid-range jumper against the Bucks. Um, he also hit a three, of course. Um, but yeah, his he was kind of everywhere. Uh, you know, and, and I love kind of Rolo as just like a general just person that's in the NBA. I just enjoy kind of like what he what he is and obviously you know we've been able to enjoy brooke this year and so i might my, my appreciating the lopez brothers has never been higher um but lopez <laughs> getting off or i you know 26 points on 16 shots obviously that's a problem um and you know levine hit a couple threes which was interesting because he didn't really do anything the rest of the game um but uh but it was interesting yeah i mean the bucks just really couldn't get stops early um i you know they started Ursan Ilyasova, which we kind of joked about on Twitter. Um, that on the one hand, like you know, you could have said, "Well, start DJ Wilson so that your rotations with your you know bench are the same," because DJ hasn't been playing really, and obviously he would have to play. Um, but then we were also kind of noted that you know Ursan just generally always gets preferential treatment, so we just assumed that Ursan <laughs> would be the ultimate beneficiary of uh, of Giannis being out, and sure enough, he did start. Um, I thought that would be a real problem against Markin, and I don't know how much Markin like really killed Ursan per se early on. He he missed some shots, and and I think maybe let Ursan off the hook a little bit. And you know, you look at the box score. Ursan was plus twenty five, <laughs> scored ten points, six boards in twenty four minutes. So it's hard to say that you know again that Ursan was you know was uh, the root of the Bucks' problems or something early on. Um, but yeah, it just felt like not a lot of flow offensively and just um defensively just just you know bulls just were able to kind of get where they wanted to be and bulls outscored the bucks 58 48 in the paint i think that's now the fourth time all season this has happened i think it's the second game in a row that that's happened it happened also against the timberwolves on saturday which you know we didn't talk about because the bucks obviously ultimately won that game but um but yeah it was definitely an uneven first quarter and you know give a lot of credit in that second quarter uh brogdon i thought in particular just his aggressiveness going to the rim also plus 25 that feels like it should have been plus 25 and Middleton also getting going um you know those two guys ultimately you know kind of helped step up helped get the offense going and I thought off the bench I thought DJ Wilson gave them a real nice shot of of energy defensively um you know I thought Pat Connaughton kind of did what Pat Connaughton does giving you kind of more of that energy I think Bud talked about his rebounding and um you know I, I thought again like the Bucks depth Look, I mean, it's been a theme all season. Um, the Bucks can go very deep on their bench, and and obviously, when you're missing uh, a guy like Giannis, you know, being able to you know bring bring some new guys into the lineup and being able to throw DJ Wilson into the fire, knowing that he's been a good player this year, you know, having Miritich now that you can throw out up there uh, off the bench as well. I mean, there's just a lot of options for Bud, and um, you know, Isaiah Cannon 
getting two out of two threes <laughs> a few hours after being called up um that kind of also probably uh was a uh uh, a telling a telling stat on a night when Bucks didn't shoot great from three, 35 percent, but hit 17 from deep. Um, and, you know, again, it just felt like as the game wore on offensively, they just kind of got where they needed to be and played the way we expect them to, even even without Giannis. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Brogdon being a plus 25, feeling right. Uh, something that doesn't feel right, Cristiano Felicio only being a minus six. Because, good God, I I don't know how they ever – how, how do they ever play him? Like, I don't, I don't understand because it felt like that the entirety of the second quarter, every time there was some sort of mishap with the Bulls' defense, it was like, oh, yeah, there was Felicio. Oh, yep. There he was again. Oh no, he screwed that up too. Hey, I as soon as I, we were joking about it uh, a little bit on press row, but you know, you were wondering, okay, when are the Bucks going to close this out for good in the second half? And I joked with Matt that you know they're doing everything they can not to bring Felicio on the floor, but the moment they do, it's over. Like it's just gonna just gonna go the opposite direction, and you know that ended up happening. And I don't, I mean. I'm not even 100% sure how it got evened out to minus six for Felicio, but, uh, you know, Wayne Selden Jr. having a minus 20 felt right. Like that bench unit from from the Bulls was just a, a total disaster. Like I don't, I don't even know how it – and again, like this – I mean, this highlights just how good the Bucks are. Like, you know, I can't imagine the Bucks putting out their bench unit and things going that poorly. Like, I, I just can't. And with the Bulls, it's like, how is that their bench lineup? Like, how do you not have better players than that? And, you know, it was just a, a total train wreck for them. And, uh, you know, you really just watch the Bucks play away, uh, put it away. But I thought DJ Wilson was a, was a good thing to mention because I, I thought DJ Wilson played very much like someone who would love to get some more minutes. Yeah. Played like someone who knew, like, okay, you know, Maybe Bud is going to roll with Ersan in Mirtich uh, for the rest of the season in these two big spots, the two bigs that come off the bench. But I'm going to do everything in my power right now to remind him just how good I can be and just how impactful I can be. Because, you know, as you watched him, it was just that energy was everywhere. Like he, I mean, I can't, I can't think of multiple effort rebound attempts like that from, from another player this entire season. Like it, it, it was it, it to me it just like I shouldn't say flew off the screen, but in person it like his effort just popped on the floor. Like you were just like, okay. Like DJ could have pouted, he could have bitched and complained and, you know, gotten gotten mad that he wasn't getting playing time and these vets had come in and over him, but instead the one night that he gets a chance, he just went out and I, I thought worked his ass off. And I thought that that really showed. So, you know, kudos to him for having the right attitude and handling it. And then, you know, kind of the same thing with Pat Connaughton. He was just, he was just really solid for this Bucks team. And, you know, he would have, you know, plenty of reason to complain in the same way that DJ Wilson would have reason to complain that, you know, he hasn't gotten minutes and, you know, obviously he has a lot to do with that because he shot 28% from the three point line (laughs) by the end of his like first stint in the rotation uh, in the first half of the season. But, you know, by, by the end of that game, it was just like, damn, Pat Connaughton, just 
just kind of swung that. So um, I thought all of that, both, both of those guys and their effort was just huge. And then, you know, I think the other thing, and this is, isn't a surprise to anyone really is I, I complained about it on Sunday and how none of the Bucks players will talk about how they love playing with Miritich and how they go out and hunt assists with him at the three point line. But uh, Chris Middleton turning a terrible Malcolm Brogdon handoff into a behind the back, no look assist to, to Miritich should tell you everything that you need to know. Like that they just know where he's going to be. They know he's going to be on the three point line somewhere and they're going to do everything they can to find him. Bledsoe had a, one earlier in the night as well, where I was just like, yep, you, you started that possession and knew where Nico Miritich was and you were going to manipulate the defenders in the way that you wanted so that you could get him that three. And it just feels like that entire team is trying to do that. And I can't say that I blame them. I cannot say that I blame them for, um, you know, I don't, I don't like talking about a person like this, but you know, he's their shiny new toy. Like they want to show him off. They, they all want to play with him, and they all want to go out there and get him a basket. And, and like, it, to me, it just shows every time he's on the floor. Yeah. I mean, and, and we saw like kind of the double-edged sword, right? I mean, he had some kind of forced threes that missed badly yeah. as well. Um, but kind of as the game went on, you know, he had a couple um, that, that's, I think, I think it was the Middleton dish for the three, which was kind of a more standard catch and shoot three. And then, uh, I think it was the next time down the court, like he was, he catches the ball on the left wing in transition and is like closely guarded and immediately jacks up a three that, you know, no one else on this roster you would probably say should be shooting. Um, but he buried it. And I think that was during that stretch when the Bucks like really kind of extended the lead a bit. And, you know, again, it's just those kind of, he's the guy who just, you know, him and, and Brooke to a large extent, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? That, those are the guys who just throw haymakers for this team, right? <laughs> um, and it's, it's early to be saying that about Nico. But, um, you know, when you think about in the playoffs in particular, you know, teams are going to go on runs. You're going to have cold streaks. You know, you're going to need, you know, you, you, your starters are going to struggle, whatever it might be. Um, and then you're going to need a guy who can just give you that shot of adrenaline. And, you know, we talked about it ahead of the trade deadline. We talked about, you know, finding some like gunner type wing um, because we didn't think that, you could get a guy like Miritich, like a, a 6'10 guy who could do something similar. Um, but he really mm-hmm. is that kind of like microwave type shooter score. And, um, you know, it was fun to see him uh, in his first game against the Chicago Bulls in his in his life. Um, after playing there for so long, uh, it was fun to see him uh, be able to, uh, you know, remind Bulls fans. He got, he got a nice little warm ovation when he checked in, um, remind kind of what, the, what, what he's capable of. And by the way, I, I just looked up quickly. So when... When uh, DJ Wilson checked into the game, 307 left in the first quarter. It was 28 to 15. 16 seconds later, he hits uh, a pick and pop three. And then yep. by the time he leaves um, at the five some five something minute mark of the second quarter, it was 45 44 Bulls. So, you know, I think that just tells, I mean, that, that was really kind of, I think, the pivotal period in the game that was when Brogdon really started to just drive and use his size and strength um, and quickness to just overwhelm uh, the Bulls attacking the rim Uh, and you know defensively I thought DJ's energy is rebounding um, was was a big plus and and obviously Chris got going as well in that second quarter um, hitting some threes and just generally kind of 
you know, getting into a rhythm and, um, you know, you said a lot of guys, you know, just things kind of got contagious and, you know, 38 to 25, I'm sure Bud was steaming, um, at the defense in that first <laughs> quarter, but, um, second quarter 38 to 16, the Bucks turned the tables, um, and, uh, you know, go take a nine point lead in halftime, which, you know, that was pretty much it. The last two quarters were both 27 to 26 for the, for the Bucks. So, you know, little ebbs and flows here and there, but, um, for the most part, like that was, you know, that second quarter just totally turned this high on the game. And I mean, Bucks have been a great second quarter team, so it kind of fits with, uh, with their MO. So one thing I was thinking about a little bit during this game, and I will admit I'm working on, uh, an article at the athletic about Brooke Lopez and his defense at the moment, but Brooke Lopez has five blocks in that game. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to. We need to, this we need to so, quit. Stop, we need to quit stop telling, saying that Robin is the defensive uh, uh, Lopez brother. They're both the defensive Lopez brother. <laughs> I think in this year, Brooke has asserted that he is actually the better defensive Lopez brother. Ironically, Monday it was Robin who was the better offensive Lopez, but I think pretty consistently we've been seeing this from Brooke now for for quite some time. Yeah. So like like essentially the the goal of my article is you know like how does one go from perceived defensive liability to you know the the center on the league's best defense like how does that happen in one year and really even at the start of the season we were still asking those questions and you know I I was starting to think through it all and we always talk about how talented the Bucks defense is and you know I think we talk about um, you know Giannis should be on all defensive teams. And I'm not sure that he will this year. Like, I really don't know because I I don't get uh, a great sense for how people appreciate what he does on that end uh, because it's not necessarily traditional. I think a lot of the times he kind of alters shots, but doesn't block them or scares guys off from going to the rim. And well, there's, you know, there's not a stat for that other than the fact that the bucks don't let people shoot at the rim. And I, I, so I'm trying to figure out how to couch this, but, you know, do they have like three guys that, you know, might have cases for all defense in Bledsoe, Lopez, and Giannis? I think all three of those guys deserve votes. I, I would predict that Giannis probably makes second team all defense again, which he did a couple of years ago as well. Um, you know, I think it's just difficult because you've got, you know, go bears. And, and I think MB, the perception is Embiid's defense hasn't been as good this year. Um, but just off the top of my head, like, you know, I, I would imagine go bears, probably your, your center on the first team. And then, you yeah. know, you, you just have, I mean, Paul George is making a forward spot, right? Like yep. I, that, that narrative is, no doubt. is, is too strong. And then you've got Kawhi Draymond. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys got more votes than Giannis and not saying it's necessarily fair or the right decision. Um, But, you know, I think just again, perception. And I think with Giannis, it's almost like he's a victim of, you know, his MVP campaign is sort of like, it's like, Oh, well he's MVP. So he doesn't, we don't need to talk about him for all defensive team or, or, Defensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, See, but even though, he, no, even though I, a lot of the metrics support it, you know. I don't know if I agree because every time someone talks about Paul George, it's always oh, the best two-way player in the league. This is a guy that's an MVP candidate and also a defensive player of the year candidate. And I think a lot of it is that we just struggle to we struggle to quantify and understand Romer's defensively. Like yeah. I, I don't even know, how, like it because. 
obviously rim protectors we can see. Rudy Gobert, duh. Defense player of the year. First team all defense, fine. We, we can figure that out because he's just a monster by the rim. And then, like, Paul George and Kawhi, okay, you put him on the the other team's best wing, which is typically the other team's best player, and, you know, they're going to go one-on-one. But, you know, like, I feel like, you know, Millsap and Draymond are, like, the only two guys that, you know, I think we've really done a nice job understanding just how large of an impact they make, like just how impactful they are as defenders. And, you know, I I just think it's, uh, and I I don't have any answers either. Like this is just me, like old man yelling at the clouds, but like, I, I don't really, I, I don't know how to make it better other than to like tonight. I just tweeted, I was watching the Celtics game for some Brooke Lopez highlights and there's this highlight where Kyrie Irving turns the corner on a, you know, pick and roll and Giannis takes away the pass to Marcus Morris, like stays in the passing lane. And then because Kyrie sees that he tries to go to the basket and Giannis is still able to get his hands up and contest the shot and Kyrie misses, but it's not a block. It wasn't recorded as a block, but Giannis made him miss that shot. And that's really difficult to that's really difficult to describe, and that's really difficult for you know if I'm trying to explain his defense to someone from the outside, I, that just took me what a minute <laughs> to, to lay out the full situation. It's not just like oh Giannis comes from the backside all the time and just like swat shots away, or Giannis is always at the rim and swat shots away, or you know you put him on Kawhi Leonard and he's going to shut him down. Like that's. That's not how he's used, and I, it wouldn't be a good way to use him. Like, like he's a weapon in the way that he is, and he's able to roam. And like I just think we really struggle with that. So that's like part of the reason why you know I, I think I don't want to say that it's gonna happen, but you know, like in the back of my mind, there's some thoughts for me that you know this Bucks team has three guys that might be all defense worthy, and they're going to have the best defense in the league or one of the best defenses in the league. And they might not have anyone on the all defensive team. And it just seems crazy. Yeah. And I am, I I think I was just sort of thinking like, what is the metaphor? Right. And, you know, as we've, as we've discussed, I've tweeted about like, you know, it's the, the challenge of being the roamer. Um, and I think like people look at like Paul George and Kawhi is like the equivalent of like a basketball, like a shutdown corner, right? Cause they yep. can just go, go one-on-one with, with somebody and just, you know, lock them down. Um, but in a way, like Giannis is almost more like that because I mean, if you, t- when you talk about literally just like players don't want to play in his airspace, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like, no, he's one of those corners that you don't even throw. You don't throw it. Like, right. Like he doesn't get, you're just like, I can't, can't do it. Right. Like, right. Not, if he's near it, I'm, I'm out. Like, we're just going to go away from that. Right. Like that's more of what he does. Or, you know, you know, if the, if the great centers are, I don't know, defensive ends who get sacks or defensive tackles yeah. or something, maybe defensive ends because sacks and blocks are maybe like glory stats defensively. Yeah. Um, you know, then you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe the shutdown corner is the, the great one-on-one guy. And then maybe Giannis and Draymond are like the middle linebackers who don't necessarily get all the like sacks or interceptions, but they get tons of tackles and they just quarterback the defense and, you know, are just kind of everywhere. I don't know, whatever useless football analogies. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, and uh, I think Brooke, I, it, it's it's been, I mean, it's been really cool seeing Brooke get a lot of the credit of late. I think they're still kind of like that. Well, he's like slow, therefore, you know, you, you know, that they, they're still that like, wow, but teams are going to be able to play him off the floor in, in the playoffs or whatever. And I mean, I think the more the season has gone on, the more I think I felt like I don't, I don't think he's. I mean, it, it's pretty tough. It's it's not like I don't I don't foresee any any situation where he's just like not playing at least twenty minutes or something like that, right? Like you know, maybe you'll have to go away from him in certain scenarios. Maybe you don't even close with him, right? That's certainly possible, especially sure. with Miritich now in the fold. But the idea that like, oh, he's just like, you're going to just like bench him or something, which I think maybe at the early in the season, people might have like thought that there may be some scenario where you just couldn't play him or something like that, or you couldn't play him very much. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I think we're seeing the Bucks kind of try different things, whether it's, um, you know, sort of these like delayed switches where Bledsoe goes over a screen and then hedges back out to the, the pick and pop guy, you know, even if it's a big, um, I think they're going to you know, be looking at ways to, to keep playing him and, you know, mitigate some of uh, his limitations or, or mitigate also just, you know, what happens when you, when you drop. And again, ultimately, like, you know, there's only so many ways to guard a pick and roll and Brook Lopez has had to do them all in his career. So if you want to do slightly different things, you can do different things. Obviously he's not going to be as well suited to some things that require running around or the court, but um, you know, big credit to him. I mean, it's been, been so fun seeing him uh, really kind of, you know, and especially what's really amazing about it is, you know, he is a guy who the trends seemingly have gone against, right? Like, yeah. for him to be considered like an okay defender a few years ago, and to even with the league going smaller and smaller and emphasizing, you know, switchability and all that more and more, the fact that he has actually improved his reputation and become more valuable defensively. In spite of that, is pretty remarkable. I think it also says a lot about the Bucks' scheme and coaching staff, and, and obviously the rest of their personnel that that they can, you know, make it all work. I just think, yeah, I, one, I didn't know Brooke could move his feet quite this well. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it, that that has kind of surprised me. And you know, like as you talk to some of the Bucks players, like Bledsoe, I was talking to him about, it and he's like, you know, man, like the one time when he was with the Nets, like a couple times in a game and I was on the sun he's like, he got switched on to me and like, he stayed with me a couple times. And I, I, I was kind of surprised then he's like, but now like getting to play with him, like I didn't have any doubts that he could do some stuff. And I was like, wait, what? Like that dude, <laughs> like that dude stayed with you. And you know, I, I think that is something that, you know, if you don't watch Brooke Lopez every night and you know, you just kind of think of the seven foot mountain of a man, like, yeah, he's probably not gonna be able to move his feet. And I think he's really impressed me with that. And, you know, then I think the other thing is obviously with him, I think part of the story with Brooke Lopez is always been like, Oh, he's a, he's a Stanford educated man. He's obviously like a, a sharp guy and he's incredibly intelligent. And, you know, sometimes with guys like that off the floor, like it doesn't necessarily translate to on the floor, but you know, all those situations you're talking about, like when teams are going to try to take advantage of them or get them to switch or, um, you know, try to put them in a mismatch situation. I just think he's, he's really crafty in those spots and he knows that they're coming. So he'll go out of his way to, 
you know, if he's going to see the switch, he'll go out of his, out of his way to, you know, push that guy as far out as possible and kind of attack him and keep him, you know, off his off his game, like where he's not really 100% sure, like what is this seven-foot dude doing trying to pressure me? Like I wasn't expecting that. Or, you know, like he'll, he'll make sure that he puts his lead hand high so that there, there's no way they can get the pull-up off. So then they're starting to think that they need to move more. And then all of a sudden he's seven foot one and has those long arms and it's really difficult. Like, I, I just think I've been, you know, really impressed with him. And uh, there, there is, I would assume no chance that he gets an all defense uh, spot, but you know, just when you think through all of this stuff, like that's been a big part of, of the reason why they've been so good defensively. And I just don't know if we saw that coming at the start of the year. So bucks, one of the best defenses in the league and, you know, Brooke Lopez is a part of that. And obviously Giannis as a roamer is a part of that. And then Bledsoe on ball has been a huge part of that as well. And, you know, they just kind of keep putting it on teams and can kind of have those huge quarters where even if they don't score particularly well, they can hold the team to, you know, 15 or 20 points. And then all of a sudden you, you got yourself, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a turn there. So um, anything else you're thinking from that game? Go ahead. Um, well, kind of on that topic, not from the game, but um did we did we talk about the Ben Falk article about the Bucks defense? Um, we did not. Um, so maybe a natural point to talk about because I think Brooke's a big kind of part of the storyline. Um, you know, we've talked all year about the Bucks dominance at the rim and you know not allowing teams to get shots at the rim and contesting them extremely well when they do and you know getting all of the defensive rebounds. I mean, again, they just own the paint in so many ways, really on both ends, but especially on the defensive end. And I thought it was an interesting article that Ben Falk wrote because, um, you know, he was he was talking about how the Bucks have been able to succeed despite allowing a lot of threes. Um, and, and we've obviously talked about that as well, just that, you know, again, like, you know, it's the, the, the toothpaste tube problem, right? Like you squeeze everything away from the rim and they have to go somewhere and they can't all go into mid-range, especially because teams know you can't shoot lots of mid-rangers. Um, so the Bucks do force a lot of mid-rangers, but, you know, again, some of these shots have to go to the three-point line. And the, he had a, a really interesting kind of little chart, which just showed, it was showing basically the um, trends for effective field goal percentage of shots in the half court for both twos and threes. And it was interesting because it showed how, you know, years ago, the gap between those was quite large, su- suggesting that threes were essentially there was more value in taking a three and a half court versus a two right and and it kind of makes sense like teams didn't force up lots of threes so they you know tended to be shot by guys who were pretty good at them and teams defended the rim more and so it was harder to get you know better twos and teams shot lots of mid-rangers so those are bad twos right so you know the shot chart collectively in the nba used to say well shoot more threes i think bucks fans can understand that why that's a good thing um but it's been interesting because there's been such a trend in what ben, what ben's chart showed that it's there's still maybe still there's i believe there's still an advantage for shooting threes in terms of the the just pure trade-off between the effective field goal percentage of a three versus a two and a half court but it has narrowed significantly and so there isn't this no there's no longer you know just this obvious bias towards well you should always you know, there's always more value in shooting that marginal three over that marginal two because, you know, as the Bucks show offensively as well, well, now that you have all the space, now twos are easier. So the twos are getting more valuable. 
and you're taking no mid-rangers, which are less valuable. So you're taking better twos, and you're taking worse threes, obviously, understandable, because you have more guys shooting threes, higher volumes. You know, three-point percentages have obviously not, you know, gone up in this span. I, I think I don't think they've gone down a lot. I think they've been, and I don't know recall, but I believe off the top of my head they've been fairly stable, but they're not super high. Um, and so obviously that kind of leads to this kind of revelation that, well, now there isn't necessarily, you know, it's like giving up a lot of threes isn't necessarily bad because, you know, that marginal three is not necessarily that, that much worse than, than a two, especially if you're pushing again, squeezing that tube to a toothpaste away from the rim. And they, he also talked about how the, the bucks have been especially good at, forcing basically like the percentage of shots that are taken by um a not great three-point shooters and guys above the break right so there's like two dimensions to this the worst three you can give up is a great shooter in the corner right because it's a short three and it's a great shooter the best yeah. three you can give up is a relatively poor shooter and i think he used 35 percent threes so under 35 percent three-point shooter above the break which is a longer three a harder three and you know he did some ransom numbers, and the Bucks tend to give up a lot more of those less valuable threes than those high value threes. So again, again, reinforcing the idea why the Bucks can give up a lot of threes because they're really not great threes because they're the guys who aren't great threes, three point shooters, and they're in locations that are not as valuable to the offense. So I thought it was a really interesting kind of addendum to a lot of the discussion we've had all season about how you know again like you got to give up something and not just the idea that, well, you know, you, you have to give up something. So you are going to give up a lot of threes, but also, you know, systematically there's something about the, what the bucks do. And you think we can dig more into that. I mean, certainly the vulnerability of the pick and pop three is going to tend to lead to those relatively lower value threes, because it's probably going to be more big guys and they're all above the break. So that makes sense. The bucks are really bad above the break or they're, they're the worst in terms of giving up three point you know the frequency of three pointers above the break um but again those are not as bad as as corner threes in which they're relatively better at so i thought that was a really interesting article that i definitely learned something from you know it kind of took a foundation of some things that we've talked about all year and then kind of added some um some interesting you know trends and findings which um you know all told add up to this idea and and credit to i believe stan van gundy i think i think zach Lowe mentioned it on his podcast that you know, Stan Van Gundy had pointed out that look at the best, look at the teams that give up the most threes. It was like the Bucks, and then the top five had the Celtics and the Pacers as well, which are three of the best defenses in the league. And so, you know, Stan Van Gundy very, you know, very astutely was saying, don't don't assume that just giving up a lot of like threes is just inherently like this big problem because, again, you know, he was I think getting at what what Ben Falk's data really showed, which is that. You're talking about giving up a lot more shots from three that are really not great shots. Not that they're, you know, worse than a mid-long two, but um, it's kind of like the, the value of a three has maybe been watered down a little bit. Yeah, and I, I, the the one thing I was thinking about is just like, you know, how often, how often we talk about, you know, three-point defense. Like, it's not about controlling the percentage. It's about controlling the temps. And, you know, I don't want to say that's foundational, but that is always something that, you know, I, I think for years now we've kind of been talking about when we talk about threes is, you know, you, you got to control the volume and that's what you want. And 
so it was no surprise to me that throughout the season, Bucks fans would constantly ask us, like, why are they giving up so many threes? Why are they giving up so many threes? Why are they giving up so many threes? And, you know, like the answer we'd have to keep giving up them was like, well, you know, they don't really give up corner threes. And, you know, they give up a, a lot above the break, which is obviously the spot that you want to give up. You want to give up threes. But, you know, I think the the thing that we always talk about is that, you know, this Bucks team is going to be vulnerable to pick and pop bigs, right? And that's important in the Eastern Conference. But also, while freaking out about that, you know, you don't really realize that most nights there's there's not an Al Horford. Uh, there, there isn't someone that is actually going to take advantage of it. And then, you know, even the guys that the Bucks have faced this year that, you know, seem like guys that quote unquote could take advantage of it, or, you know, guys that might worry people in the playoffs, like, well, you know, Serge Ibaka is a good three point shooter this season, but you know, for his career, he isn't. And, you know, if you really like break it down, like, okay, maybe he's not like a killer. Uh, from the three-point line. So, you know, maybe giving up pick-and-pop threes uh, to him above the break isn't the worst thing. And, like, you know, you look at Joel Embiid, and it's the same thing. Like, Embiid isn't actually a good shooter. Like, he shoots a lot and has plenty of confidence in it, but, like, that's not a problem. And uh, I I just thought it was a really interesting article because, you know, it does kind of fly in the face of the convention that we've talked about many times about you don't, you don't worry. I shouldn't say you don't worry about the percentage percentage is kind of out of your hands for three point uh, attempts. And the big thing is controlling the attempts and the bucks kind of fly in the face of that. And I think you can kind of see why, like, and I do think, you know, if you watch this bucks team for the entire season, you can see that, right? Like you can, you can think about the threes that they give up and realize that a lot of times it is guys that you're not, I don't want to say you're not scared of, but you're certainly not sprinting to get off the line. Like that, that just isn't something that they've worried about. And I know it's, it was a cause for concern, but you know, I think at this point in the season, Bucks fans have, I don't want to say seen the light uh, because I don't think anyone likes seeing open threes be given up. But, you know, I, I think you've, if you've watched enough Bucks basketball this year, you can kind of see what they're getting after and why, what they were thinking and what they're trying to do ends up working. For sure. And I think it's, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see in the playoffs in particular when you have to play the same team over and over again and teams make adjustments. Like, I think that to me is going to be really interesting um, just to see how, in particular, Bud adjusts his defense and how much, you know, they they choose to really emphasize taking away the three, uh, in particular to big guys. Because as you mentioned, you know, Horford's obviously a guy that has hurt them with the three ball. Yep. Um Ibaka has been really bad on threes this year. Embiid has obviously um, under, well, I don't want to say under two, but I think he's, he, people don't realize how relatively <laughs> poor of a three-point shooter he is. And, you know, you compare him Jack. Not here though, Frank, to, not here on Locked on Bucks. We, we have made sure to let yeah. everyone know about that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you compare, you compare just, you know, again, and people say that about Giannis for obvious reasons as well, but you know, with Embiid in particular, I mean, having him shoot a three rather than try to punish you in the post or, you know, be in the paint available to, to grab an offensive rebound. Obviously it's a big win if, uh, if he's settling for those types of shots. So, um, yeah, um, I'd say game one of the, the road trip, obviously a success game two of the road trip, uh, coming up in Sacramento on Wednesday night, Giannis, as of, 
this evening on Tuesday is listed as probable with that knee soreness. So fingers crossed that he will be um, healthy enough to go. Um, but we'll see, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think obviously you don't want them to take too many chances and, and overwork him. Um, and obviously Speaking right of now that with, point, uh, someone had, had mentioned to me on Twitter, like, oh man, the Bucks can't be resting them and, you know, giving away games. And again, that speaks to the whole giving away games thing, but like, you know, it, how much is it going to matter if they lose the home court advantage? And it was just like, uh, Giannis's health will always be more important than home court advantage. Yeah. Like that's, it's not. It's not close. Like if you give me, uh, you know, weighted scales, like one is very important and the other one doesn't matter at all. Like home court advantage does not matter at all in comparison to Giannis's health, especially for an injury that we know has. You know, I mean, I think at this point you can call it a chronic injury, right? Oh. Like it's plagued him for two years at this point. Like, yeah, managing a chronic injury is much more important than finding a way to get the one seed in the Eastern conference in this season. Like they're not even, to me, they're not even, they're not even close. No, I mean, that's right. And again, I mean, it's unfortunately, it's kind of a black box for us. We, you know, we don't, we don't feel what Giannis feels. We don't know um, how much risk there is to this. So you just kind of leave it to, um, to the team, you know, to, to Giannis and the training staff and the coaching staff to, to make the right decision and make the right trade-offs. And again, I think as we were, tweeting out and we you know talked about the other day I'm certainly looking at it this week um you know assuming he plays against sacramento wednesday i, I have to think he's going to want to play really badly against the lakers and lebron on friday and so mm-hmm. you know the obvious day that that you know you kind of maybe tentatively pencil in here as a rest day would be uh the next night going to utah after the lakers game which is you know lakers are a national tv espn game um, so the, the jazz could certainly benefit from, uh, Giannis being in line for a rest day on Saturday. So, uh, our, our yep. locked on bucks listeners in Utah, uh, be, beware. Uh, I know you only get one bucks game a year, but, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, at least, at least if, if we were to speculate, we would probably say the odds of Giannis sitting that one out are, are relatively high at this point, but, Hey, if his knee feels great this week, then I'm happy and would love to yeah. see him play. Right? I mean, he's obviously played back to backs yeah. most of the season, um, but uh, we'll we'll see. And first things first. I mean, actually, you know, going to last night's game, I I kind of started to think. I was like, man, this this actually could be uh, shaping up to be the week that you know maybe the Bucks do lose those two straight games um, because you know Monday without Giannis, no cakewalk, um, mm-hmm. even with the Bulls being shorthanded as well. Um, and then Wednesday, Sacramento's been playing great. Friday, I mean, the Lakers have been a disaster, but they still have LeBron. They still have talent. Like they, mm-hmm. they're still capable of winning every game. And then you got to go play Utah the next night. So um, you know, every every win you can chalk up here. Danger zone, danger zone for the uh, for the, the no consecutive two losses. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, they they have not lost to uh, I, any of the teams they're playing this week. So the Losing to the same team twice uh, record is, is not in danger um, since they have already beaten the Kings uh, my first game of the season in you know very undramatic fashion, dropping 100, 140 on them. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd love to repeat that, but Kings have been playing well. Um, Marvin Bagley, I think, is a... Uh, you know, he's he, was, things. he was okay. Again. He's not considered like a defensive player per se yet, but um, he... Uh, I thought he looked, especially physically. I mean, he's got the physique to 
uh, defend Giannis in length. Um, I think he's going to be an interesting guy that to, uh, he, he's, I think he started the last game. He's been coming off the bench, but he started the last game. So, um, good chance that he might start, um, on Wednesday and, um, we will see. I mean, Willie Colley-Stein, like, physically should be able to, like, be not bad against Giannis, but, like, I feel like in all my recent memory, he has, he's yeah. just been destroyed by, by Giannis. Um, so, so we'll see. Bagley is uh, an interesting matchup. His energy and, and, uh, um, you know, uh, finishing and, and activity, I think, are uh, also something that, that could keep Giannis working. So, um, so they're they're a tough matchup, and certainly Bledsoe, uh, Bledsoe will be motivated against uh, a the Kentucky guy, another Kentucky guy, mm-hmm. Darren Fox having a great season. Um, so so we'll see. Buddy Hield also having a great season. So um, a, an interesting matchup against a team that obviously has been a really pleasant surprise and. Um, no longer can you uh, take for granted that uh, you can get fat uh, beating up on the Kings, unfortunately. But uh, Bucks will uh, will look to try to get the season sweep uh, on Wednesday. Late night game, nine o'clock tip here in Central Time Zone. Um, I'm not sure if Frank and I will get together or if it'll be Kane and I, but either way, we will we'll get that taken care of, um, and we'll have a podcast for you to break that one down tomorrow. So for Frank Mann, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.